In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Glory be to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and ever, and to the ages of all ages, Amen. So, Elijah, talking about Elijah tonight, and maybe for uh, uh, several more nights uh, as our time allows. Um, why I really, really, really love Elijah is because he uh, is deeply convicts me and yet deeply motivates me. In James 5, you find this beautiful verse where it says, the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And um, both that both gives me a lot of hope that um, uh, if uh, we're fervent in our prayers, if we understand what effective means and work towards it, and we're struggling to, uh, to live in the in the fullness of the righteousness of Christ, um, our, our prayers move heaven. Our prayers move God. Our prayers make um, make God respond differently to the world. And uh, the kind of like uh, um, subtitle of our of our Bible study is is this next verse. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again. And heaven gave rain and the earth produced its fruit. And um, like I was saying, I find, I find that very, very deeply convicting. And I find it very deeply convicting because the verse is very clear. It's making it very, very clear. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Elijah, the man who stopped rain for three and a half years. And then when he prayed, the rain came back. That Elijah was a man with a nature like yours and like mine. He wasn't made of different stuff. He wasn't, he wasn't, um, he wasn't any different than you and me. Um, and so uh, my, my, my deep hope, my prayer tonight is that uh, tonight's Bible study would, would fill me and you, me first and foremost, um, because uh, I'm so cognizant of my own weakness, but uh, and fill you also with a lot of hope, with a lot of hope, um, and inspire you to the to the goodness of God and the great things that God can do um, in you and in me. Because 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 very much that Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, who wasn't made of anything different than you and than me, and so. Um, uh, with with that introduction, I'm going to invite you to to go to to First Kings, um, uh, seventeen. Um, but first, before we go to First First Kings seventeen, I I want to just start at the end of sixteen to give you just a little bit of context of what world it was that Elijah was was in. What world was it that Elijah was um, was uh, that that he was he was serving God in, and if you go to the end of um, if you go to the end of of First uh, Kings sixteen, right before seventeen, right before Elijah comes onto the scene, because Elijah's come gonna come onto the scene in verse one, First Kings seventeen, and Elijah the Tishbite right off the bat. So what what world was it that Elijah was coming into? Well, before. Um, uh, Elijah came onto the scene to meet King Ahab, who was the sing king of a son of King Omri. King Omri was horrible. If you look in in, in sixteen um, 
uh, verse 25, And Omri did evil in the eyes of the Lord and did worse than all who were before him. And he walked in the ways of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and in his sin, which he had made uh, uh, Israel to sin, provoking the Lord God of Israel to anger with their idols. So Omri, his father, was terrible. Um, and then Ahab comes to reign, his son comes to reign in his place. Now you'd think he would have learned a lesson. He would have learned a lesson to be not as evil, as wicked as his father, but no such luck. In fact, um, in fact, uh, it, it goes on to tell us in the 38th year of King Asa of Judah. So this is the kingdom is divided now. So it's, he's telling, he's, he's marking things in time by the king of Judah or the king of Israel, you know. Um, and so he says in the, the, you know, in the 38th year of the king of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, the son of Omri became king of Israel. And Ahab uh, uh, did evil in the sight of the Lord. Here we go. More than all who were before him. Verse 30. And he married Jezebel, who was uh, the daughter of Ithbal, king of the Sidonians. Uh, and he went and served Baal and worshipped him. And he set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal that he had built in Samaria, the capital city of Israel. And Ahab made a wooden image, and Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him in his days. Um, uh, Heel uh, of Bethel built Jericho, he laid its foundation, and so on. And um, here, you know, there's mention of Jericho, and um, and uh, if you remember back in the conquest. Uh, back in the back in the conquest uh, of uh, Joshua, when when Joshua entered the Promised Land, right after Moses was taken up to uh, to heaven, uh, died and, and and was taken up to paradise uh, uh, on Mount Nebo. Um, if you remember, Joshua entered the Promised Land, found Jericho, and they encircled Jericho, and they went around it seven times, and the seventh day they went around it seven times in one day in complete silence, and then they blew the trumpets and the walls of Jericho came down. And Jericho was a fortified city, and it was like impossible. It was absolutely impossible for them to conquer a city like Jericho, a bunch of hillbillies from the desert, and this was a fortified city with walls um, that were so thick and so on and so on. I could go on and on and telling you. Anyways, so what happened? How did it go from Jericho that had been demolished to uh, to 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 uh, if you if you remember uh, the story of Zacchaeus, the story of Zacchaeus happens as Jesus is entering Jericho. So what happened in between? When was Jericho rebuilt? Well, God had given a prophecy to Joshua and told him, whoever tries to build Joshua will end up having to bury his oldest son and his youngest son in the process. That's, that's how much God wanted Jericho to lie in ruins so that it would be a testimony to the victory of God. 
And now in the church, uh, when we do a procession, oftentimes when we do a procession in the Coptic Orthodox Church, we go around the altar three times, and then we go around the whole church three times, and then we go around the altar again once. Why do we do that? We go around and around seven times, the same way that Joshua went around Jericho seven times because the victory of of joshua over jericho was a victory of grace they weren't granted victory because they were so awesome they were such great warriors they had such great siege engines and they were able to bash down the walls of jericho not at all the reason uh, that they were given they were given a gift of victory over jericho a free gift that they did not deserve they were given the grace of victory. And so we um, uh, relish in the grace and the victory that we have been given in Christ. And so we do the, what's called the procession of grace or the procession of victory when we do a, a, a procession seven times around the church. So who rebuilt, who took on the challenge of rebuilding Jericho against the will of God and against this terrible prophecy that you would lose your firstborn and your youngest sons in the process, Ahab. So we can see how horrible of a king um, um, was th this was, uh, who, uh, was who uh, Elijah was up against. Um, and, so, um, and so Elijah goes to prophesy to King Ahab. Now, um, I'm uh, I'm going to try something here, and um, I'll keep my eye on the chat so you can tell me um, um, uh, you can tell me if uh, if it works uh, or not. Um, let's see here. Here we go. So um, tell me if. Um, if you all can hear this, um, I figured instead of listening to me um, read three chapters of the Bible with you, I figured we, we all, if we're going to enjoy this, we're all going to need to kind of have um, an idea of uh, the, the story uh, of Elijah. And maybe the best way to do that is, uh, is, is just uh, to read it together or to hear it together. Um, and so um, there's this great... Uh, recording of the Bible called Word of Promise where it's sort of dramatized um, um, and um, I find it a bit slow so I'm going to be playing it at one and a half speed and I hope that's okay um, but please uh, feel free to tell me whether you can't hear or whether um, uh, it's too fast or anything like that and we can slow it down here we go of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab as the Lord God of Israel and Elijah, the Tishbite, of the inhabitants of Gilead, said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to him. Get away from here and turn eastward, and hide by the brook Kirith, which flows into the Jordan. And it will be that you shall drink from the brook. And I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went, and did according to the word of the Lord. For he went and stayed by the brook Kirith, which flows into the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. And it happened after a while that the brook dried up, because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him. Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. 
see. I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, indeed a widow was there, gathering sticks. And he called to her, Please, bring me a little water in a cup, that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called to her, Please, bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. As the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin, and a little oil in a jar. And see, I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. Do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me. And afterward, make some for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, Then a flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry, until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. So she went away and did according to the word of Elijah. And she and he and her household ate for many days. The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry, according to the word of the Lord which he spoke by Elijah. Now it happened after these things that the son of the woman who owned the house became sick. And his sickness was so serious that there was no breath left in him. So she said to Elijah, <laughs> What have I to do with you, O man of God? Have you come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to kill my son? Give me your son. So he took him out of her arms and carried him to the upper room where he was staying. And laid him on his own bed. Then he cried out to the Lord, Oh Lord my God, have you also brought tragedy on the widow with whom I lodge, by killing her son? And he stretched himself out on the child three times and cried out to the Lord, Oh Lord my God, I pray. Let this child's soul come back to him. Then the Lord heard the voice of Elijah, and the soul of the child came back to him, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper room into the house and gave him to his mother. See, your son lives. <laughs> now by this, I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is the truth. <laughs> after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year. Go, present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the earth. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab, and there was a severe famine in Samaria. And Ahab had called Obadiah, who was in charge of his house. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly, for so it was, while Jezebel massacred the prophets of the Lord, that Obadiah had taken one hundred prophets and hidden them, fifty to a cave, and had fed them with bread and water. And Ahab had said to Obadiah, Go into the land to all the springs of water and to all the brooks. Perhaps we may find grass to keep the horses and mules alive, so that we will not have to kill any livestock. So they divided the land between them to explore it. Ahab went one way by himself, and Obadiah went another way by himself. Now, as Obadiah was on his way, suddenly Elijah met him, and he recognized him, and fell on his face. Is that you, my lord Elijah? It is I. Go. Tell your master Elijah is here. How have I sinned that you are delivering your servant into the hand of Ahab to kill me? As the Lord your God lives, there is no nation or kingdom where my master has not sent someone to hunt for you. And when they said, he is not here, he took an oath from the kingdom or nation that they could not find you. And now you say, go tell your master Elijah is here. And it shall come to pass as soon as I am gone from you that the spirit of the Lord will carry you to a place I do not know. 
So when I go and tell Ahab, and he cannot find you, he will kill me. But I, your servant, have feared the Lord from my youth. Was it not reported to my Lord what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord? How I hid 100 men of the Lord's prophets, 50 to a king, and fed them with bread and water. And now you say, go tell your master, Elijah is here. He will kill me. As the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, I will surely present myself to him today. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him. And Ahab went to meet Elijah. Then it happened when Ahab saw Elijah that Ahab said to him, Is that you, O troubler of Israel? I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, and that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and have followed the Baals. Now, therefore, send and gather all Israel to me on Mount Carmel, the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent for all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel. And Elijah came to all the people and said, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people answered him not a word. I alone am left a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Therefore, let them give us two bulls, and let them choose one bull for themselves. Cut it in pieces, and lay it on the wood. But put no fire under it. And I will prepare the other bull, and lay it on the wood. But put no fire under it. Then, you call in the name of your gods, and I will call in the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. It is well spoken. Now Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose one bull for yourselves, and prepare it first. For you are many, and call in the name of your God, but put no fire under it. So they took the bull which was given them, and they prepared it, and called on the name of Baal from morning even till noon. O Baal, hear us! But there was no voice, no one answered. Then they leaped about the altar which they had made. And so it was at noon that Elijah mocked them. Cry about, for he is a god. Either he is meditating, or he is busy, or he is on a journey. Or perhaps he is sleeping and must be awakened. So they cried aloud and cut themselves, as was their custom, with knives and lances, until the blood gushed out on them. And when midday was past, they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. But there was no voice, no one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come near to me. So all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And Elijah took twelve stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. Then with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench around the altar large enough to hold two seers of seed. And he put the wood in order, cut the bull in pieces, and laid it on the wood, and said, Fill four water pots with water, and pour it on the bird's sacrifice, and on the wood. Do it a second time. And they did it a second time. Do it a third time. And they did it a third time. So the water ran all around the altar, and he also filled the trench with water. And it came to pass, at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, that Elijah the prophet came near. Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that you are the Lord God, and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. Then the fire of the Lord fell, and 
consumed the burnt sacrifice, and the wood and the stones and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. Now when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces. The Lord is God! The Lord is God! Seize the prophets of Baal! Do not let one of them escape! So he seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kaisha, and executed them there. Then Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat and drink, for there is the sound of abundance of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Carmel. Then he bowed down on the ground, and put his face between his knees, and said to his servant, Go up now, look toward the sea. So he went up and looked. There is nothing. And seven times he said, Go again. Then it came to pass the seventh time that he said, There is a cloud as small as a man's hand, rising out of the sea. Go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariots, <laughs> and go down before the rain stops you. Now it happened in the meantime that the sky became black with clouds and wind, and there was a heavy rain. So Ahab rode away and went to Jezreel. Then the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah, and he girded up his loins and ran ahead of Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, also how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah. So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life, and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he prayed that he might die. It is enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Then, as he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him. Arise and eat. Then he looked, and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back the second time and touched him and said, Rise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank, and he went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars killed your prophets with the sword. I alone have left, and they seek to take my life. Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. So it was, when Elijah heard it, that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. Suddenly, a voice came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. 
lie alone and left. And they seek to take my life. Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, anoint Hazael as king over Syria. Also, you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshai, as king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Maholah, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. It shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Hazael, Jehu will kill. And whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. So he departed from there, and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen before him, and he was with the twelfth. Then Elijah passed by him, and threw his mantle on him. And he left the oxen, and ran after Elijah. Please, let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. Go back again, for what have I done to you? So Elisha turned back from him, and took a yoke of oxen, and slaughtered them, and boiled their flesh, using the oxen's equipment, and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he arose, and followed Elijah, and became his servant. And that's uh, that's the, m m most of the story of um, of Elijah. And then, uh, if we uh, uh, skip ahead uh, to ver chapter twenty one, we'll find that there's another story uh, about the extreme injustice of King Ahab and his wife Jezebel uh, towards their, the neighbor of the palace, a guy named, named Naboth, who had a vineyard, and uh, Ahab has him killed so that he can add the, this man's tiny little vineyard to uh, the gardens of the palace. Um, I guess he had a thing for, for gardening. Um, and then if we go into Second Kings, uh, chapter 2, we'll find the story when, Ah uh, when Elijah um, ascends to heaven. Um, but, um, but I, uh, um, I, I kind of just wanted you to, in case you you never really heard the story of Elijah from beginning to end, um, I really wanted us to kind of um, be able to to just have uh, you know the context and the story clear before uh, before our eyes. Um, and so now with that, um, um, I uh, I'm gonna just kind of dive right into. Um, our topic for tonight. Our topic for tonight is really just the first few verses of the story um, of um, the story uh, uh, of uh, of of Elijah. Um, um, if we we go to the to back to uh, the first chap the chapter chapter seventeen, and we read, and Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab. Um, so let me just tell you a little bit about uh, what it means that he was Elijah the Tishbite uh, of the inhabitants of Gilead. Gilead um, was this uh, very mountainous region, very arid, dry uh, um, area. Had some valleys with maybe a little bit of, of vegetation, uh, but uh, was was a very um, very poor area due to the lack of, of, of vegetation. It wasn't. It wasn't like a you know a a, a rich fertile uh, valley, um, um, and just east of the Jordan, so um, just uh, just on the other side of of the Jordan, sort of as you go towards like Iran and Iraq and so on, right? Um, um, and 
in Gilead, there was this, this tiny little village called Tishbi, um, and hence his name Elijah the Tishbite, because he was from this town called Tishbi. Um, and uh, this, uh, the, the inhabitants of this town, Tishbi, were most likely shepherds, um, and they were probably quite poor. And so from a young age, he probably was, had been accustomed to living uh, in the desert um, and to living, to following his sheep around, trying to find pasture for them, um, and to living a, a, a quite an, an arid and ascetic life. That was something he was probably quite accustomed to right, um, right from the get-go. Um, oh, sorry, just a second. Sorry about that. Um, so, in any event, um, uh, in any event, this uh, th this this man, who's for all practical intents and uh, uh, purposes a nobody, who comes from nowhere, goes to see the king um, of the land and tell him, "Look, unless you change your ways, um, then." Uh, there will not be a, a drop of rain in all of Israel. I mean, honestly, like honestly now, what is, if you had to make an educated guess as to the likelihood of the success um, of, of, of his little mission, what's the likelihood that they're even going to let him into the palace? Suppose they let him into the palace. What's the likelihood he's going to get to see the king? If he does get to see the king, What's the likelihood the king would listen to him? He's nobody from nowhere that knows nothing about anything. He is a smelly shepherd from the desert um, who doesn't, um, who has really no power, no claim over anything. What would compel? What would compel somebody like that? Before we, we, we answer that question, I want to ask you a question. I want to ask you a personal question. We asked a question now about Elijah. I want to ask you a question. Forgive me for being so blunt and so forward as to enter deep into your life and into mine. Do you sometimes feel like you're Elijah? Like you're a nobody from nowhere? What is my pe pedigree? What is my, uh, what is what is my, um, what are my credentials? Saint Paul in Philippians three gives us his credentials. He he tells us, you know, like I, I like I, I'm from the tribe of Benjamin, a Jew, the son of a Jew, a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee, uh, concerning the law, blameless, trained at the feet of Gamaliel. He gives us, uh, you know all of his credentials and he says i have counted all of that as loss i've counted it all as rubbish for the excellence of the knowledge of christ jesus my lord that's great he had enormous credentials and he gave them up but i think some of us sometimes feel like we're nobody i'm glad father john you feel that you're called to greatness in god that god has great plans and a great gift of the of the holy spirit to give 
to you and to each one of us. I'm glad that you think that you know, uh, you know, God will endow you with uh, enormous and amazing gifts and change the world through you. Good for you, Father John. But that's not me. You don't know me. I'm a nobody. I'm a nobody, the son of somebody that nobody really knows and I'm not really doing anything that amazing with my life uh, you know a lot of us feel kind of like we're kind of stuck in limbo you know like my life is kind of stuck in the middle of nowhere going nowhere I'm somebody from nowhere who's going nowhere and you're trying to tell me that I'm going to do something great and God is going to do something great with me is it not possible that Elijah could have felt the same way that you and I may sometimes feel. Is it not possible? And yet somehow, not only is he convinced that God wishes to change the course of a nation, the life of an, of an entire nation, but he actually changes the world and changes all of history. What about you? What about me? That's Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead. What's the secret of his strength? What's the secret of his ability? Why was it that he was able to, to go and to stand before King Ahab? What, 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 what secret? What, what's the secret sauce? What gave him that power? What gave him that gall? What gave him what gives Esther the ability to say, I will go and see the king, and if I perish, I perish? What gives these great men and women of God such enormous boldness and confidence? We find one one secret in his opening statement. He stands before Ahab, the king of Israel, which is the nation, which is ten tribes. As a landmass, it's at least five times the size of Judah. When, when the kingdom of, 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 of David graduated to the kingdom of Solomon, Solomon extended the kingdom even further than, than David by a little bit. And it had enormous prosperity. And then the son of Solomon, Rehoboam, wasn't so sharp and he, he wasn't politically so, so smart and the nation was divided under him. Ten tribes of the north went one way and two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, formed the southern nation. The southern nation was called Judah, the northern nation, Israel. The king of the northern nation of the ten tribes he stands in front of him and he says, As the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand. We'll find there the first secret of his strength. That Elijah had learned that he, he only stands before God. If we want to summarize this in one simple phrase, he had learned the fear of God. What is the fear of God? Well, what is fear? Fear is the intense displeasurable feeling at the thought or the, or the imminence of losing something dear. That's the definition that St. Athanasius and St. Clement give us. And we find that the anxiety that we have nowadays, the fear that we have nowadays, is the intense displeasurable feeling at the, at the thought of or the imminence of losing 
something dear, losing my job, losing uh, a friendship, losing uh, face in front of people, losing etc., etc., right? And so that causes us fear and anxiety. So what is the fear of God? The fathers tell us. It's the intense displeasurable feeling at the thought of the loss of what? L losing God? You can't lose him, you know? We get lost sometimes, but God doesn't get lost, thank God. You know, he, he knows how to find his way. He's good enough. I love it when people tell me, I found God. My thought immediately, I'm usually polite enough not to say it is, I never knew he was lost. Um, but in any event, you know, in any event, you know, it's losing our communion with him. It's losing the connection. It's almost like I'm about to give you the secret to winning $10 million and your connection starts to get a little choppy. You know, and the sound isn't so clear and the internet starts to kind of fade. But it, the, you, you, you know, the fear of losing the connection, the connection with God, right? He was a man who had acquired the fear of God. Not fear like terror, like, like he's afraid God is going to torture him or kill him. No, he's someone who had learned how to see God, how, how to see God in everything. And the thought that he would be in a situation and he would be unable to see God, that's what he was afraid of. He wasn't afraid of God. He was afraid of missing God. He was afraid that an hour would pass and he would miss God. He would be afraid that a situation would happen and he would miss God. How many of us pray in the morning and forget God for 16 hours and remember Him again before we put our head on the pillow in the evening. And in the morning we offer Him praise and thanks for a new day and a new opportunity to repent and to do good works. And in the evening we, we repent of, of our failings of the day and thank Him for the glorious things He's done with us that day and reconcile with him and go to bed in peace. That's beautiful. But what happened to the 16 hours in between? What happened to that time? And every experience I have in my day is an opportunity for me to meet God and to see God and to know God and to love God and to, to experience him more deeply. I know him through his word. I know him through the holy people, all of you, that I get to see him clearly living in your lives and doing wonderful things and I see him in you and I enjoy him in you. But what about in my own life? Are the circumstances of my life going and going and going and God is acting in my life and God is working and I have no idea where he is? Does that not terrify you? Does it not terrify you that you are seeking God as a God lover, as, as, as someone who loves God? And all of you people here, I'm sure you're all good people and you all love God very much and God loves you very much, right? And, and you're giving up your Thursday night to sit and listen to, to this Bible study and par participate in it, right? But, but what about... What about the rest of your day? Has God been absent from your day? Did God forget you since, since, since 7 or 8 a.m. this morning when you woke up? God is there. God is alive. God is working. God is with you. God is journeying with you and with me. Where is our communion? Losing the connection. Elijah did not lose the connection. Elijah maintained. He held that connection deep a deep connection with God and he made sure 
not to lose it. He made sure not to miss it. If you hear the voice of God speaking to you, even in the mundanest of things, I beg you, obey him. And I beg you, I beg you, hold on to that thread, that thread of his voice and continue to follow him and to obey him and to say to him what St. Paul says to him on the Damascus road. He says to him, Lord, what do you want me to do? Continue your obedience to him. That's a first secret that we find. Then he says, he says to, to, to Ahab, we're going to find another second secret today in the, in, 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 in the life of Elijah that shows us the, the secrets of his strength. And in the following weeks, we're going to develop all of these ideas much more deeply as we continue in the life of Elijah and continue going through his life. But today we're probably just going to get through if even just the first five verses. He says, then he says, he says to King Ahab, as the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. So commentators have actually brought up something very interesting. If you read carefully in the life of Elijah, if you read everything written about Elijah in the New Testament and the Old, you never find a reference that God told Elijah to go to Ahab the king and tell him all this stuff. What? You want to tell me that this guy, Elijah, risked his life, went and stood before the king and told him, there shall not be a drop of rain in this country except at my word. And God never told him that? Where did he get it from? Did he just make it up? Like, and if he did, was this guy not afraid for his life? I mean, suppose, suppose he goes and does this and God makes torrential rains the next day. What would they do to Elijah? Well, first of all, he'd look like a complete fool. Second of all, uh, they'd kill him for threatening the king. It's, it's, it's treason. Where did he get it from? You know where he got it from? I'll tell you. F flip with me in your Bibles to Deuteronomy 11 and you'll find the answer to the question. Deuteronomy 11. We find in Deuteronomy 11 that God is commanding them to, lo to love and obey him. And he tells them very clearly that if you love the Lord your God and keep his charge, his statutes, his judgments, his commandments, always know today that I do not speak with your children who have not known and have not seen the chastening of the Lord and his greatness and his mighty hand and his outstretched charm. But I'm speaking to you who have seen me overcome the king of Egypt and you saw what I did to him and to his horses and his chariots and he saw you saw how I brought the Red Sea in to, fl to flood and overthrow them. You saw all of this. Keep my commandments, God says. I command you today and be strong and go in and possess the land and cross over. Right? And Moses is telling the people all of this. Right? 
And he tells them, but the land which you cross over to possess, this is 11.11, one of my favorite verses, the, the land you cross over to possess is a land of hills and valleys which drinks water from the rain of heaven, a land for which the Lord your God cares. The eyes of the Lord your God are always on it from the beginning of the year to the very end of the year. God is telling them that the land that you're going in to possess is not a land that you're going to, you know, you're going to go, you're going to plant it uh, seed by seed and you're going to water it with a watering can and so on. You know, I'm, these days I'm teaching my daughters how to, how to plant stuff, right? And so we planted uh, carrots and beets today and um, we ran out of, uh, out, of, out of soil and out of pot. So I just took a bunch of seeds and threw them in the pot and I'm reading the instructions and the instructions say you're supposed to plant the seeds exactly this far apart from each other and you're supposed to put exactly this much dirt above the seeds and so on, right? I mean, uh, gardening and planting is, is, is a fine art. Um, and God is telling them, no, 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 you're not going to do any of that. You're not going to do any of that. I've planted it already. It's a land of hills and valleys. You think it's going to be like Egypt where you're going to go with a watering can and you're going to go and water each each little plant? No, 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 no. I water it from the rain of heaven. I care for it myself. I have prepared it for you. This is what? Again, it's a land of grace. It's not a land of merit. You're not going to, and he tells them, you're going to eat from vineyards and fig trees that you did not plant. I'm telling you more than what's in Deuteronomy 11, but to give you the context, the, in, in the, people often say grace is a New Testament concept. Not at all. Grace is, is the character of God. It's, it's, and his character does not change. Uh, Hebrews 13.8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It doesn't change. God doesn't change. God is the same. God is a God of grace. He tells them this is a land of grace. But you'll have participation in my grace. And, and if you look, where did, where did Elijah get this, this business of, of a drought? Go down to verse 17, 16. Take heed to yourselves, lest your heart be deceived and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. Ah, bah, bah, bah. That's exactly what Ahab did. Lest the Lord's anger be aroused against you and he shut up the heavens and that there be no rain and the land yield no produce and you perish quickly from the good land which the Lord God is giving you. Elijah, my brothers and sisters, didn't make up a threat and go and throw it in the face of Ahab. He didn't even go and tell Ahab something he didn't know. He went and told Ahab something he knew very well. He was just choosing to ignore. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. But he didn't choose to ignore. He chose to remember. He chose to remember the commandments of God. He chose to remember the word of God. He chose to remember what God is saying. He knew the promises of God and he knew 
the consequences of not walking hand in hand with God. By the way, in Deuteronomy, when God wrote this, he wasn't writing it as a threat. God is a God of love. He is not gonna, he's not going to threaten us into loving him or walking with him. He wrote this, God, God said this to Moses and Moses wrote it. The Holy Spirit inspired Moses to speak and he wrote it as, as a reminder to us of the direct consequence. There, there, my brothers and sisters, there are spiritual laws. If I take this glass of water and I drop it, the water in it will spill. If I tell you, see how God punished me and spilled the water from my glass because I dropped it. Because I dropped it, see what God did to me? You tell me, uh, Abuna, what are you smoking? <laughs> you know, Abuna man, what's going on? Right? There's nothing, uh, God didn't do nothing. You had a glass of water, it was full of water, you dropped it, that's how gravity works. Good morning, right? It's a basic law of physics, right? A basic spiritual law. God is life. He and He alone is the life giver. Connect to God, connect to life. Disconnect from God, disconnect from life. What does that mean? Begin to die. Begin to die. And I find, I'm telling you the truth, my brothers and sisters, when my communion with God starts to fade, it's, this isn't, don't think of this as something binary, yes or no. Am I connected to God? Am I not connected to God? It's not like that. It's actually something much finer than that. You have communion with God. When that communion with God deepens, you find that you see God in everything. You find God in everything. You see His hand in, in your life and in the lives of others. You find it natural, a natural response to praise Him and a natural response to repent. Why? Because we're, we're not our praise and our repentance... As, as Father Anthony Paul was telling us uh, a couple, uh, last night, I think it was, praise is a response to God. It's not something we do. It's not, not something which is enforced upon us that we have to do. God has, ha has commanded it. So, you know, I mean, he's a big guy. He's a tough guy. He throws thunderbolts. I better listen and, and you know, go to midnight praises on Saturday night. It's not like that. It's not like that. Is praise is, is uh, when 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 you take a when you take a bite of some, some fantastic sandwich or some amazing piece of cheesecake, what do you do? You go, oh, that's awesome, right? You just you have a response. You have a natural response that comes from you to declare how 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 good something is. Is God not better? than a fantastic sandwich or, or a great bite of cheesecake, right? Elijah, Elijah knew the truths of God. He had, he had taken time, he had taken space. He had, being, although he was a shepherd lost in the wilderness, trying to find pasture, trying to find any grass for his sheep in, in the, the arid valleys of Gilead, he had somehow learned the word of God. He had learned the promises of God. 
And he had learned what happens when we lose our communion with God. And so he went to tell Ahab that which he knew and he believed to be true. Without any evidence in scripture, if you look, that God had magically intervened. Many times God tells the prophet, go and tell this person this thing. But that wasn't the case here. Or at least we don't have any scriptural evidence of it or any patristic evidence of it. The only evidence we have is the words which were already there. So the truths are here. The laws, the spiritual laws are here. Are we, do we know them? Do we know them? Are we seeking them? These are the secrets of his strength, of his power, of his ability to go and stand before King Ahab and tell him such things. Let's, uh, uh, let's carry on. Reading our, uh, reading our chapter. So, he says to him, there won't be a drop of rain except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to him saying, get away from here and turn eastward and hide by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. So the word of God comes to Elijah and tells him what he should do. Now, maybe I'll read the next bit also, and we'll just we'll 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 discuss all the next few verses together and and sum and sum it up to, to wrap it up for tonight. And so he tells him go. And hide by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. And it will be that you shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and he did according to the word of the Lord, and he went and stayed by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. And it happened after a while that the brook dried up, because there had been no rain in the land. Now, let's start with this last verse. The brook dried up. Are you surprised? I mean, the guy just declared a drought. He just told them it's not going to rain. He just told them there's going to be no rain. God tells him, go sit by this brook and hide there. Now, another thing. These, these water sources, this brook which flows into the Jordan, it was, it was a collection of water that comes down from the mountains. So it was in the middle of a valley. So he's, he tells them, go hide in plain sight. Sit by a brook. So obviously, so he can drink from the brook. Go sit and drink by the brook. Go hide in plain sight. Drink from a brook in the middle of a drought. Dude, it's going to go dry. And it does. And don't worry, I'm going to send ravens to feed you. Now, I don't know about you, like how much you know about ravens and birds and stuff, but ra ravens, are, um, ravens are, are scavenger birds. So they, they basically eat scraps. Um, they, they, they're not exactly like, you know, the, the model character of sharing. <laughs> You know, when you see birds squawking and fighting over food, right? Um, 
ravens are like that. Seagulls are like that. You never seen, you never see a seagull, you know, saying, "Fadal, please, you, 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 you know, you, you take the first bite." You know what I mean? Uh, I don't know if you ever, ever had a roommate. Right, that would always like finish the last bit of coke in the bottle, finish, finish, take the last bit of butter, and you know, one of those people. You know what I mean? I hope you're not one. <laughs> I hope I'm not insulting you. I hope you're not one of them. Right? You know, ravens are like that. They just take. They take for themselves. What would possess him to believe, to think, to believe that the raven would feed him? God said so. God said so. I want to tell you something. It's not always like this, but often. Like, I'm very shy to say God always does this. Um, if I wasn't shy to say that, I would say God always does this as a rule. But because I'm in, I don't like to pretend like there's rules that apply to God. Let me just say oftentimes God does this. When he wants when he wants to take you to the next level, he asks you to do something. He gives you an assignment. And when you open the package and look at the assignment, you know, when you look at the, you, you realize that this assignment is impossible. Impossible. It's not something that a normal human being can do. It's not. It's not something that you can do. It's certainly not something that you can do if you allow me alone. God gives us these assignments because He wants to deepen our communion with Him. He wants to tell Peter, if you want to walk on water, you got to get out of the boat. He wants to tell you and to tell me, take a leap. Take a leap. Oftentimes, God's invitation for us to go deeper in our life with Him and have a deeper communion with Him is to believe in something impossible. Believe that I can get ravens to feed you bread and meat. Where are they going to get bread from? Is there like a, a bakery? You know, they're going to get it from? It's ridiculous. It's completely impossible. But it's not a problem for God. It's not a problem for God. It doesn't bother Him in the least. It doesn't bother Him at all. And Elijah listens. Elijah takes the word and he lives with it. I want to tell you the last, that's the third secret. So the first one was to acquire the fear of God and to live by it. To always live in the consciousness of my communion with God and to, to if I fear anything I fear losing that that communion with God the second thing was knowing what God has already told us people oftentimes are asking what the will of God is for the future they're asking do aliens exist do this do that are there other galaxies yeah those are all very important and interesting questions however do I know what God has already revealed or not to know Him and to know Him through what He has already revealed. The third thing is to accept the challenge. Accept the challenge of impossibility. When God calls us to the impossible, when God calls us to love our enemies, when God calls us to rejoice in the direst of circumstances, when God calls us to be patient 
and kind to those who are unkind with us. When God calls us to whatever impossibility God is calling you to, to accept it and to realize that the power to do it lies in God, not in us. I'm so shy to tell you, embarrassed to tell you, that oftentimes the biggest reason why we have difficulty believing in the power of God in our own lives and that God will do what He says He will do in our own lives is because we're so used to depending on ourselves. I'm so used to, by my own strength and my own power, I will do such and such. And so I'm always afraid to go beyond the limits of my strength and my power. Like I don't want to bite off more than I can chew. Because guess what? I believe that I'm the one doing the chewing. But it's never like that with God. Never. I want to tell you, never. Never not once. Never. With God, God always calls us to something impossible because He is the one who is planning to do it. Through you and through me. So don't be afraid to accept the impossibilities that God sets before you and before me. Don't be afraid. Rather rejoice in them. Rejoice in them. Because when God calls you to do something that's bigger than you, that means that He's going to do it. And if He's going to do it, that means you're going to get to see Him in action. You're going to get courtside seats to watching Game 7 of the NBA championships. You're getting, you're getting to see God work and in your own life, you've got the, 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 the closest, you know, you've got the closest view because it's happening in your life. It's amazing, an amazing gift when God calls me and calls you to the impossible. The last thing, and we'll end on this note and we'll pick up here next, next time is he tells him to go and sit by this brook Cherith. Every one of us has a Cherith, this tiny little brook in the wilderness. Oftentimes God calls me and he calls you and he lures me and he lures you into the wilderness to go and be with him there. To be, go and be alone with him there. You know the contest of Mount Carmel where he offers the sacrifice with the other king, uh, priests of Baal and he wins and he, and he, and he um, executes all of them. And uh, when he goes to Zarephath and he does the great miracle of allowing the, 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 her flour and tin of oil to last the entirety of the drought and then her son dies and he brings him back from the dead and all of these great miracles, before every one of these miracles was a time in the wilderness, was a time in Gilead, was a time in Cherith, was a time alone with God. God is calling you and He's calling me to Mount Carmel, to a great contest in which God will show His power 
and God will be victorious and God will do great things and be glorified through you and through me. God is calling you to Zarephath, to great acts of mercy, to the most unlikely of people, a widow. And Zarephath was the first town in Syria, in Sidon. It was called Sidon at the time, which is Syria now, just on the other border, the northern border of Israel. So God calls Elijah to go to a widow, a nobody, who's not even Jewish. She's a Gentile in an enemy nation. In fact, where was Jezebel from? She was the princess. She was the daughter of the king of what? Of Sidon. He sends Elijah to a widow in the land of Sidon. And he does a great miracle there. Before God calls you and to me to great acts of compassion and miraculous wonders to the poor. Before he calls you and me to raise the dead, he will call you and me to Cherith, to go and sit with him and be alone with him. When's the last time you closed the door and were alone with God and had communion with him? So many people are up in arms about us not being able to pray liturgies and they say, but, we, but what about Holy Communion? We have to have Holy Communion. I think it has become more than evident to all of us that God has called us to a different kind of communion these days, that we might have communion with Him in our own cherith. Be alone with Him. Glory be to God forever and ever, man.